Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian, and hope everybody had a great Labor Day weekend. Our podcast is brought to you by uh, Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us today is my good friend Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners for a look at the week ahead and whatever else is on his mind. Byron, hope you guys had a great holiday weekend, and thanks so very much for joining us. It was terrific, Vago, and happy to be here as always. Uh, Indeed, and you managed to get some sailing in, which is always a good thing. Yes, sir. (laughs) Uh, Especially as the season dwindles and pretty much it's it's haul-out season. Uh, Anyway, um, and for uh, the audience, Sam Bendett is going to be back with us uh, next week. And a quick word from our sponsor before we get underway. HII is the designer and the operator of the Navy's live virtual constructive training enterprise, the largest LVC enterprise in the U.S. Department of Defense. HII delivering hard stuff done right. Uh, Byron, um, there's so much to talk about, including some uh, takeaways from the Emerging Technologies Institute, uh, the NDIA's uh, flagship conference. It was the inaugural event. And we had a great conversation with Arun uh, about a uh, about a week and a half ago where uh, he mapped out what are going to be the key themes of that event. But I want to start, uh, sadly, <laughs> you know, where we always have a tendency of starting, which is talking a little bit about the Hill. Congress is going to be back uh, after summer recess. You, um, you know, sort of updated your take on the shutdown risk. Walk us through, again, the odds. And what is it you're looking to hear over the course of this next week uh, as yeah, lawmakers get back to Washington? So the, so the Senate will be back in session uh, this week. I actually think, um, well, I know Senate Foreign Relations is having a hearing on AUKUS. So they are getting back to some business. Um, you know, the House will be back next week. And, you know, the intent was to take up the defense bill or, or have a floor vote on that. But look, it's just, you know, there's not much room for optimism Um you know, particularly based on some of the continuing demands of the Freedom Caucus. Now, maybe this move by uh, Speaker McCarthy to promise that there would be impeachment hearings, which, of course, aren't going to be anything other than a messaging, you know, fundraising uh, move by the House. But, you know, does that placate um, the demands of the House Freedom Caucus? Or, you know, is this still the, the FY24 appropriations being held hostage to this. So I still think it's likely, um, you know, put odds on it, I don't know, 60, 70% that we'll start uh, the fiscal year without a continued resolution. I do think that it will probably be, it, it's manageable if it's, call it, you know, 10 days, no more, maybe maybe 14 days at most, Um and then I think, you know, there'll be something that will will get us back on track. Um, you know, these are this is an odd set of demands that are being made, particularly when the Fiscal Responsibility Act basically set the top lines for FY24. I mean, you kind of had the agreement. So why are you ripping it up now and saying, no, that that wasn't that doesn't matter. We're, we we want more. Um, so you kind of wonder, you know, when, when will there be um, first, you know, a, a kind of public blowback on this, although I don't think it really matter um, for the members who are really pushing for this, but the rest of Congress has to live with this. And, you know, federal shutdowns, putting, you know, a couple hundred thousand federal workers on furlough is disruptive. Um, It's wasteful. Um, You know, there is, you know, maybe there's a carve out for the, for the Department of Defense. We'll see. 
um, you know, what kind of comes together in September. I suppose that's one thing I'm going to be watching is, you know, okay, it really will be when the house is back, but, but what kind of movement is there on a CR, you know, can you get something done? And if not, you know, I look at the 2013 shutdown that was over the FY14 budget. Now, that was before you had a budget deal. So that's what right. makes this a little different is you've had a budget deal. You've got a group in, in Congress that's saying, no, 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 we, we've got other demands. Um, so the optics are a little bit different. But, you know, I published on my usual Sunday night note, it was just a stock chart that showed Defense stocks really didn't do that badly. Neither did the market during the shutdown in, in fiscal uh, fiscal fourteen, and in, in uh, it was kind of the same, you know, September first to I don't know October fifteenth or sixteenth, um, uh, September thirtieth. I'm sorry to October fifteenth, sixteenth right. in twenty twenty thirteen. Um, that's kind of the template, and you know, from a market standpoint, sure, work is going to get delayed. Not much is going to happen. You know, uh, mandatory payments are still made. This is about discretionary funding. So, um, you know, Social Security is going to keep going on. Uh, the, the you know, there are usually carve outs. So we, we don't shut down the air traffic control system, for example, in the United States. Property is protected, um, but it's disruptive right. and it's wasteful. Right. But but who gets blamed for it in this environment, right? I mean, historically, uh, right, I mean, the adage was uh, that, you know, whoever causes the shutdown kind of gets blamed for it. It does generally take two to tango, uh, but sometimes it is one side uh, driving it. It looks like in this case, it's going to be Republicans that are driving it, even though we do have a budget deal now. At what point, like, so how long... You know, well, you, you guess, say yeah, seven the, to ten days. The part, yeah, I mean, the part of the, yeah, and that's just a wild guess, Fargo. I mean, I think because at, at a point you go, hey, you know, you have a deal. Um, you know, the the there are <laughs> moderate Republicans and uh, the Democratic Party who I think kind of would like to see this push forward, and so I I could see Freedom Caucus getting blamed for this, although I don't think that's really going to change anything. Um, you know, they might wear that as a, a badge of honor, quite quite bluntly, um, if they think it's going to extract any any further concessions from from Speaker McCarthy. Um, you know, I, I just think it'll be kind of a cooler heads will prevail. There will be blowback and damage, particularly to moderate Republicans. And, you, you know, it's kind of like the debt ceiling debate. I mean, as much as Washington likes to, uh, you know, run the car up to the edge of the cliff. They don't always drive it over the edge. And hopefully that's kind of what we see here is there's a symbolic, there's symbolism in taking the shutdown and trying to look for other demands, you know, that, that can be met using right. that leverage. Maybe that's the game that's going to be pay, played. But um, but I, I'm kind of heading into September thinking that's the most probable scenario, but not one that I think people should get really upset about. It's the end of the year and then looking into uh, 2024 that I think is is much more problematic for the Department of Defense. Uh, and uh, there's so much more that's on the agenda that it's just like this is, you know, everybody everybody's bandwidth is constrained. And this and the Tuberville issue and, and all the other noise um, sort of, I think, has a tendency of obfuscating the, the magnitude of the work that has to get done, especially when there are people in the department. You know, we're going to hear from uh, Secretary Kendall uh, on Thursday's uh, show and our look ahead to uh, the, the AFA 
uh, airspace cyber conference. And it's sort of fascinating to me, you know, like that needs sustained resources. It means new starts. It means moving ahead and then ending up with a full year continuing resolution and closures is just is just wasting everybody's uh, time. Uh, in your uh, September uh, scorecard, where you just review a lot of data, you wrote about the, the Emerging Technologies Institute uh, inaugural uh, conference. Uh, as uh, I uh, uh, mentioned, uh, Arun uh, Serafin uh, joined us uh, to discuss what it is uh, that they were going to cover in this three-day uh, event, uh, which is going to be a flagship uh, NDIA product. Um, give us, you know, but you, you found this to be very action-packed with a lot of takeaways. Walk, walk through uh, what really jumped out at you? Well, I think let's start with a couple of things. And maybe maybe it's going to circle back to the comments about the continuing resolution. You know, one, one of the one of the breaking news aspects of the conference was uh, the Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks' announcement of a program called Replicator, uh, which is to build um, a trainable autonomous. Uh, systems, basically drones, um, at scale over the next 18 to 24 months. Um, there's a lot that really wasn't fleshed out, uh, although I think more is going to come either this week or probably at AFA on what that program is and, and how it might be competed. Um, but, you know, that's a kind of, that's a really interesting initiative to me because, you know, one, one I think the most important signal is that the Department of Defense is really observing what's going on in, in Ukraine, and they're starting to make programmatic changes on the basis of what they're seeing. Um, I know this is something that, you know, you're going to interview uh, Secretary of the Air Force Kendall on this, but I, I just think that's a really intriguing change. And when I put that together with the Jet Zero announcement on the blended wind body concept, that award, it really suggests that there's some interesting I don't know if I want to call them seismic um, shifts taking place in the department, but, you know, you put those two uh, announcements back to back and it's a signal that there's some pretty important change coming. And obviously that only happens when you have a budget together. If you don't and you have a continued resolution, all this is going to be still bored. Uh, it, 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 it is, uh, it is indeed. Um, but, and but it's, back, it's, yeah. but yeah, back go to ahead. conference. Um, look, it was it was really a very well done conference. I thought they covered a lot of ground. Um, really, on the whole question, it wasn't so much about technology. Although I have to say, I didn't sit in on a lot of the panels where technical papers were presented. Um, and obviously, because this is an unclassified conference, you know, the juiciest, most interesting stuff is probably kind of what's behind the the curtain what's going on in, you know, classified world on electronic warfare or uh, ISR space or, or hypersonics. I mean, there, there were panels on AI, uh, energy, contested logistics, uh, a fair number on microelectronics. It was kind of interesting. But, you know, the overall tone of the conference was we want to do stuff faster and we want to take greater advantage of commercial technology. Um, and, and there were a couple of other little elements that I found were newsworthy. You know, there was a panel discussion on the uh, Department of Defense, uh, Defense Industrial Strategy that's being pulled together, uh, hopefully with a paper published in December 2023. That's really going to look at some of these bottlenecks and resilience issues and how the department can look at these. And I think that's going to help inform the FY25 budget. 
Um, I mentioned the uh, replicator program. You, you know, I, I think it's very interesting. It opens a whole range of questions about who's going to compete for that. You know, what are its applications? What are the range of these systems, the cost? Um, but it's it could be a lane for new some of the new entrants to scale and frankly scale right. pretty significantly. Um, um go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. because uh, I, I have uh because uh it reminded me to ask you what we discussed on on yesterday's business roundtable, but uh, go ahead and finish your thought and well, one other uh, you know, the other person who uh I, I know he's spoken at, at uh smaller gatherings, but Doug Beck. Um, the uh, director of the Defense Innovation Unit um, really made some intriguing comments about, you know, he wants DIU to become the disruptors of the team. They're, they're going to go from being the disruptors of the team to disruptors on the team. Um, he really thought that there's a fair amount of capital out there, but the DOD has been a terrible counterparty to that capital. So he wants to have more outreach and engagement with the industry, which is positive. Um, and I, I think it was also a positive message. He said, you know, look, 80% of DIU's work has been with kind of the small non-traditional contractors, but DIU wants to see a lot more collaboration with the primes in order to be able to scale some of their technologies, uh, services, and products. So um, really some interesting perspectives. And when you kind of loop this all together, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of momentum and push for emerging technologies now. But there was one panel that I thought kind of poured a little bit of cold water on on at least the artificial intelligence aspect of all this. Uh, and how how do, how so? That DoD is still approaching this with far too many pilots, um, little, right. little individual programs. That there's still too much testing. They're still doing a waterfall uh, development, and, and you know they really have to get on this uh, change of how they acquire software at scale. Um, the presenter who who made these remarks is from NVIDIA, uh, and certainly they know something about AI, and uh, that presenter showed a video to start her talk off about how Amazon was basically using AI to modernize their warehouses. And it was just a really fascinating little insight into, well, here's what's going on in the commercial sector, and here, here's what's what's really missing when DAD approaches this and, and, you know, suggestions on what should change. So, and I'll say one other thing, Vago, you know, a lot of the companies who were presenting on these counter, these uh, panels were not your traditional heritage defense contractors, uh, right. NVIDIA, Ericsson, Corvo, Intel, Microsoft. So, you know, it's another um, a venue where, there's change coming and uh, how that change happens is I think uh, uh, really one of the, the preeminent issues for this defense sector in the United States in 2023 to 2025. Um, I uh, would agree with you. I was at Fed uh, Supernova about a week and a half ago in Austin. Um, and what was interesting was that all of this change and churn is now driving the bigger companies to change as well, which uh, is interesting, right? They're trying to move a little bit more quickly. Uh, they recognize uh, the challenge. Uh, they're recognizing a change in the ecosystem. And it's going to be interesting to see what kind of byproducts that we get out of that, right? I mean, does NGAD arrive faster? Does FAXX yeah, one, get here faster? One of, the, one of the more interesting little displays, uh, I think it was Tuesday, the second day of the show, 
uh, was a Lockheed Martin display. Uh, they had a couple of other engineers who were talking about this, but they basically had an internal effort to develop uh, low-cost, attributable systems that could be right. sent over to Ukraine. And you know, they started their uh, presentation, uh, you know, in their little booth with, uh, I think it was a picture of a Lamborghini. And it's kind of like, well, this is what we kind of are good at. We do, you know, exquisite systems, but they cost a lot of money. So this internal effort was basically to to show that uh, you know Lockheed has the the capability, which of course they do. They they have smart engineers and they have the capital to do this kind of stuff. It's just it's just thinking differently, uh, as we've talked so many times about what you, what you need and how you design and develop right. it and what it costs. Um, uh, just a quick word from our sponsors. Bell sponsors our daily podcast. HII sponsors our global coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage. And Spirit Aerosystems Defense and Space is sponsoring our coverage of the Air Force Association's upcoming Airspace Cyber Conference and Trade Show. Uh, I, I want to get to the war uh, in a second, and you mentioned it, but one of, you know, Doug Cameron had a great story in the Wall Street Journal. We discussed this on uh, the Sunday uh, program where uh, the conversation was uh, about, in, in my view, sort of the, the tension that exists between uh, Washington and the White House talking about Buy American when it comes to weaponry and some of the suggestions from members. While uh, guys like Bill LaPlante, uh, the Acquisition and Sustainment Undersecretary, and others in the department are talking about friendshoring, that we need to tap allies and partners, uh, that we need to build an arsenal of democracies and be buying allied, right? Otherwise, we, we can't uh, fulfill these needs, whether it's for design, development, distributed production, greater modularity. Uh, fr from your standpoint, how do all of these themes sort of fit together? And, and what do the folks who are making some of these decisions need to be bearing in mind, right? We, we may want to build every warship in the United States, right? Uh, but uh, which I think Tammy Baldwin has suggested by 2023. But that's absurd, especially when we're trying to pursue AUKUS, for example. You mentioned an AUKUS hearing. Yeah. You know, walk, walk us through how we need to be thinking about where Look, we are and where we're going. You know, we're in a war. I mean, we're backing, uh, 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 you know, Ukraine in a in a major war, in the largest conventional war in Europe uh, since 1945. And the U.S. defense industry does not have the capacity to meet the demand of that war. So it's pretty plain and simple. I mean, the same thing happened in Iraq and uh, when the MRAP program uh, soared, we had to tap steel from Mexico and Canada. So it's not new. Um, and I really do think there is a time when you have to put aside the Buy Americas, um, you know, as, as much as you'd like to see, you know, our defense dollars spent in the United States. It's impractical to think that that's going to happen. And I think it also builds um, a broader resilience in in industrial bases that, frankly, can help the United States um, in the future. I mean, I don't think that this war in Ukraine is going to be the last one they're going to see in the next 10 years. And so these ups and downs uh, that are inevitable um, in defense demand, you know, the idea that the U.S. can do it all alone is it's a figment of people's imaginations that they think that's really going to happen. Um, and if not, you know, I would just assume, you know, <laughs> uh, other countries will step in and, and fill these voids. So uh, I'm, I don't have a problem with it, Bago. And I, I do know there, there is some tension 
you know, on this, particularly, you know, one angle I've heard is is some reticence from U.S. contractors and helping European contractors, particularly in precision guided weapon systems, um, by providing them subsystems because at the end of the day, you're helping a competitor. Um, right. You know, you, you've got it. You have to put those concerns aside when there's a broader uh, uh, a broader need at time, a, a much more important need than, you know, are you going to make another hundred million dollars in sales uh, or lose a hundred million dollars in sales because, you know, company ABC is is somehow, you know, you, you've helped help them along. I mean, uh, I, I, I think there's a, uh, you know, kind of shame on you moment that may be emerging there if that's really what's going on. Well, I mean, all of these are sort of broader industrial dynamics uh, at uh, the end of the day, right? I mean, um, some of the foremost contractors who are concerned about China, talk a lot about China, want to continue acquiring rare earths from Chinese suppliers because doing so is cheaper than paying the extra cost of buying it from yeah. the only American supplier, right? right I mean, right. Uh, but this doesn't work unless all the suppliers buy for it. Then you're creating a market. Then you'll have other players in it uh and and try to glow it as opposed to maintaining a vulnerability right i mean whoever wants to willfully depend on your but i mean some have made the case right i mean you know well if the chinese will build it and it's secure why not depend on them it's cheaper right even though i think it's faulty logic well you know you could argue that the russians have kind of made that decision uh, and sam you know certainly has talked about this but and royal united services institute has done some excellent work on the flow of Western microelectronics that go into Russian weapon systems. So um, I don't, I would not recommend that we do the same thing by any stretch of your imagination, but you know, you could, you know, if that's the way you want to go um, and, and try and continue to rely on uh, the Chinese rare earth elements, other, you know, microelectronics, uh, anything that, that is being sourced from China in a potential conflict over Taiwan, you know, you could really get caught with your pants down. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. And uh, I think folks who listened to yesterday's show knew that, you know, the, the concern is whether or not our allied supply chains are really any more robust in many cases than we are. That's Ron's concern that, you know, OK, well, ours isn't up to it. And some of these are much smaller and more atrophied, uh, whereas Sash was like, uh, you know, we'll believe it when we see it. Right. The, the United States. Uh, you know, that both Tempest and SCAF are ITAR free because countries want to maintain that sovereignty and 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 don't uh, want to have those vulnerabilities uh, at the end of the day, which which yeah. is and unfortunate. I, and I would agree, you know, and, and right now there are countries in the world that have that have that capacity. I mean, Australia has shown it, you know, when the Talis, I think, reached an agreement with them. South Korea should have it. Israel should have some of it, you know, so. And again, you know, you, well, you, India, India is trying to develop the capability to be right, ITAR right. free, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just, and I do think, you know, look, the unemployment report that came out last week, yeah, it picked up a little bit, but you're, you, you still have labor shortage in the United States that just don't make this easy to scale and ramp significantly. And, uh, right. you know, again, uh, yeah, we're going to be headed into another earnings season a month, month and a couple, probably two weeks from now. And, I don't expect companies to state during the calls that they've somehow miraculously solved all the labor and supply network shortages that are still out there. 
in, in, indeed. I mean, the only way we can do this is, I, I still think, with our allies and partners, especially those that are significant, that, that do have a lot of capability and capacity, whether it's Poland, whether it's Finland, uh, the Japanese are doubling their defense spending. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you uh, two uh, two questions. I want to end on the war, but the uh, the war in the week ahead. So three questions. But um, the when Gina Raimondo visited China, uh, right? I mean, she was saying we can cooperate. There's a lot of trade we can still do, but there are some red lines. We want a level playing field. Uh, we're not going to furnish you with the chips you need to develop your weapons. And on her visit, the Chinese roll out a Huawei phone that actually has a cutting edge chip that, uh, you know, at least the Chinese claim does not have any American technology. And it basically an upthrust middle finger uh, to the administration, this administration, and the preceding administration sanctions on chip making technology. Where, where does this go? Byron, because ultimately, every time we've tried to curb and control it, it, you know what I mean? It's it's a lever that you can pull only an X number of time before the lever comes off in your hand. Right. Yeah. And and that's why, you know, the 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 building up U.S. domestic capacity is going to be so important and not just U.S. domestic capacity, but the capacity of our allies, too. Um, I'm not surprised by this at all. I mean, come on, you know, China what, second largest GDP in the world, you know, what population, I mean, you know, the technology flows. Fairly. Smart kids who've gone to MIT, Caltech. Yeah, yeah the, right? you know, and, and the, the mantra that, oh, they've just stolen all this technology from us. Yeah, that's true a couple of years ago, but come on, they, they're doing things that clearly have caught the attention of the Department of Defense. And that's not just because they keep, you know, uh, mimicking everything we do. So, I'm not surprised by it at all, but I think it really does get back to this, again, it's going to roll back into the federal budget. You know, if, right. if you start holding up appropriations for things like the CHIPS Act, for, for some of the the federal programs that are going to enable this, um, and microelectronics was one of the themes at the NDIA conference, uh, you, you know, you, you're ultimately damaging national security. You're not helping it. On the war um, obviously, President Zelensky has decided to make a change in defense secretaries saying we need uh, new approaches. Um, it looks like they're making progress, uh, but it's still kind of tough and slow uh, going. Just any thoughts on the war, um, which normally, right, uh, you know, Sam is the one doing that for us. Well, no, I mean, I think and I will leave it to Sam's expertise. You know, my impressions are I'm not really surprised that um the war has kind of played out over the summer the way it has. Uh, there's a very interesting article, I guess, within the last two or three days in the Kiev Post. <clears throat> really, and this is from Kiev, so, you, you know, it's not uh, not some guy just blogging, but um, just how difficult this fight has been for Ukrainian frontline soldiers. And I think, um, you know, as much as people may have uh, thought Russia was the incompetent bumbling giant that they showed themselves to be, uh, you know, in March, April, 2022, and maybe even to a, uh, you know, lesser degree in the fall of 2022, they are a military that's a learning organization. Um, it is an authoritarian state. Uh, they have not, their economy has not been crippled by sanctions and export controls. It's been damaged, but it has not been, uh, you know, knocked to its knees. And the idea that, you know, the Ukrainians were somehow just going to blow through these guys uh, with what still is a very limited set of Western kit, um, 
you know, was was kind of fanciful in my view. Um, the thing I worry about Vago is uh, you start to see, you know, a little bit of pushback, certainly within the United States, on continuing support for uh, Ukraine. And that's what's going to make uh, the continuing resolution intriguing because of the aid for Ukraine that's attached to that. Um, you know, I don't think people appreciate uh, the magnitude of the Ukrainian war effort and, you know, what their their fiscal picture looks like if they don't get aid. Um, and I just find, uh, you know, their their survival is really going to depend on uh, on continued aid. So looking at their 2023 budget, Fago, you know, their defense expenditures are about 1.1 trillion hefernia. Uh, social payments, I think, are another 0.4 trillion. All other was another trillion. So that gives you a total budget of 2.6 trillion. Uh, their revenues, and this would include the money they borrowed in the aid, uh, their, their revenues, I'm sorry, uh, are, are about 1.3 trillion. So talk about budget deficits, you know, the external aid that they're receiving is is covering the, you know, half of the expenditures. So the idea that somehow, you know, we could just cut off aid or stop it and there wouldn't be really horrible consequences in Ukraine, I think is another fanciful idea that's been floating around. Um, the war, you know, I, I, it's some escalatory uh, moves, you know, the Ukrainians unveiling uh, long range strike systems, you know, this kind of reaching deeper, you know, destroying transport aircraft, for example, uh, the the raids that hit some of their uh, the, the Ukrainian strategic bombers. I mean, look, this is going to go on for a while. Um, I, I don't, I, I, you know, we're going to be in month season soon enough. Uh, so it, it's going to be a, a land campaign is going to bog down here pretty quickly. And, and as much as maybe Ukraine has shown some movement, you know, the Russians have have held up. Uh, they've held up. Uh, in, well, indeed, 144 million people, they have more folks they can throw into the breach. They have more resources. Uh, you know, they control their own food supplies, uh, right? And they can endanger uh, Ukraine's power. They can endanger Ukraine's uh, trade. Um, and I do believe uh, it's interesting that President Macron uh, wants to get involved to figure out some grain corridor to be able to get this grain out, especially now that, you know, Putin has told Erdogan, well, we, you know, we're, we will continue, we'll stay out of the grain deal until our agricultural products uh, are exported. And obviously, um, you know, he's going to be, Kim, uh, I think, is going to Moscow, right, to discuss arms uh, cooperation. Uh, not, not that they already haven't been cooperating at one level or another anyway. Uh, last question, week ahead, what do you got your eyes on? What should the audience be paying attention to? I mentioned the AUKUS hearing that Senate Foreign Relations is going to hold. Um, Defense News is having a defense conference on Wednesday where a number of DOD uh, officials are going to be speaking. Um, Royal United Services Institute has an event on Thursday where BAE Systems uh, uh, senior executive is going to be speaking. Um, <clears throat> there are a couple of smaller events uh, on Tuesday, Hudson Institute is having something about the, the role of the U.S. Army in the Pacific and Indo-Pacific with General Flynn. Um, and there's an IS, no, the CSIS event uh, on kind of acquisition and innovation um, on Wednesday. So again, you know, it, we're, we're back at work. Everybody's going to be back at work. Uh, not that I think people really sloughed off in, the, in August, at least. As we know, there was a lot going on.
Byron, thanks very much. Always a pleasure having you on the program. Uh, great to have you back on. Great to be back and uh, in battery for what's to come. Thanks so much. Thank you, Valgo.